0: Welcome to another episode of the Highlight Zone here on the All Things Geek Network. I am one of your two hosts, Steve, and I'm here with my dad.
1: I am Kelly, and I'm glad to be here. See,
0: absolutely. We're pumped to be here. We are the show where we take drinks, and we go over four episodes of the, what I consider the greatest show of all time, The Twilight Zone, created by Rod Serling. This is episode three, so this would be episode three of our show, right? Right. And in each show we cover four episodes. So episode one, we went over episodes one, two, three, and four. Then you and I recorded in person last month and did episodes four, five, six, seven. So here we are with episode oh, sorry, eight. So today we are on episode nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. And these are incredibly interesting episodes. I have up and down opinions on them. One of them, I did not remember the ending and I talked to you about this on the phone, and I think I know why, is because I repeatedly fall asleep in this episode. And I just kind of keep going, but I'm pumped to get into the weeds with you on this. Let's get in. So
1: It seems like World War II movies always put you to sleep. I don't know why that is. Spoiler alert, so
0: you know which one. Yeah, because we (laughs) talked about it on the phone. Yeah, you're totally right. So here we go. The first episode is one that I had new opinions on, and I'm pumped to talk about it, and it is called Perchance to Dream. This was first aired, let's see here, when was this first aired? November 27th, 1959. Now the interesting thing about this episode that you and I are recording today is after that last episode ends, it was Christmas day and then they took their break and that's where they had to retool and reevaluate if the show was profitable and the viewership. So what we're finishing up today was the end of their kind of their test, which is kind of fascinating to think about that they weren't positive that this show was going to work. So this one came out on November twenty seventh, 1959, directed by Robert Florey, and uh, was written, this is a bit of interesting trivia, by Charles Beaumont. I'm going to give you a bit of trivia right up front. This is one of the only episodes not written by Rod Serling. So... This was originally Rod Rod Sterling's brother. So um, this one was not actually written by him. It was only adapted for it um, by the screen, but he wrote this before. So this is not a Rod Sterling written episode. Interesting, right? The bio is a fatigued man fights to stay awake as he explains to a psychiatrist that if he falls asleep, it will trigger a nightmare, which will cause his heart to fail. So in about five minutes, maybe less, let's go through this one and go for it.
1: So when I was watching this episode, this proved to me that hallucinogenic mushrooms and marijuana have been in use in this industry, going back to at least the beginning of the Twilight Zone, because I found this to be the most bizarre, unhinged version of anything to date. But as of episodes in this show, it starts out with this guy standing in front of a high rise, like in downtown Manhattan. And I love, it's got a revolving door. Well, we've all been through revolving doors. But this was so choreographed, there must have been 12 people going in and out, and they must have filmed it 10 times to get the timing. Uh, yeah. Because the door never slows, the people keep coming in and out, and he's just standing there. So, anyway, he goes up. So, I'm mesmerized by this revolving door. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> and of course, everyone is dressed to the T's in their hats, their suits, which is. It's, man, it's Manhattan
0: 1959. It's, it's yeah It's
1: exactly, at least that part they got right. Mm-hmm. So, he goes up this high rise to this psychologist's. Or the psychiatrist's office walks into the room they've been waiting for him he looks bedraggled so the psychiatrist asks him to lay down on a couch he lays down but he can't he instantly sits back up and he's stressed. And he tells the psychiatrist i haven't slept for 87 hours i can't sleep well tell me why you can't sleep well i can't sleep i've had this dream i know that if i go back to sleep that this person in this dream this woman is going to draw me to sleep and i'm going to die Oh, okay. Well, tell me about this woman. So he goes on and on, and he tells him about this dream that he had the last time he went to sleep, and he ended up g- going to a carnival, and uh,
0: <laughs> really creepy, like horror a very, carnival. A yeah, very
1: creepy carnival that must have some kind of house of prostitution as part of the carnival. <laughs> Beca- I don't know about that <laughs> because he pays the guy a couple of a quarter or so. To watch this woman, this cat woman, come out and Do dance. Do that dance. Okay. So this woman's out there dancing just for him. And he's mesmerized by her. He then leaves. She comes out and says, hey, didn't you like the way I dance? Yeah, I did. So you got to come back. Come back with me. And uh, he says, okay, I'll come back. So he gives the guy some more money. And they, she takes him back into this room. And it's a fun house. It's one of those weird, funky, like a Halloween thing where you've got ghosts that pop out and goblins. Yeah. And he's freaking out. So he ends up leaving. Then he comes back. He has to, he goes back again. And she's just got him. And so she sees him again. They go back in and they end up getting on this roller coaster. And he's, he hates this thing, but he goes on it. She's on it. They're riding up and down, and he's freaking out, and he wants to get off, and she goes, it's too late. You can't get off now, baby. So at that point, he screams, and then it goes back to the psychiatrist's office. And the psychiatrist is sitting here looking at him. He's laying on the couch, and he calls in the nurse. Nurse, come in here. I think he's dead. Yeah, he's definitely dead. He just laid down for a second. Wait. Never got back up.
0: Wait, did you skip a part?
1: I probably did. I probably skipped many parts. Oh no, no, no that's <laughs> good.
0: Okay, so he's in the dream. He's talking to the guy about the dream and what's going to happen if he goes back, and how he doesn't want to get on that roller coaster because right. the roller coaster freaks him out. Yes. So he gets on the roller coaster and he's going and he's screaming, and she is well, he's scared as hell. And like she's and she is she's, laughing, and yeah, she keeps on telling him, him on. "Jump, jump!" And she's like, "Just jump," whatever his name yes, is. Yes. Uh, and so she's yelling at him to jump, and it then goes, oh, wait, you didn't skip anything. No, 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 because it goes right back to the therapist office. Right. Now continue, okay.
1: So the, the nurse comes in, the receptionist comes in, and they agree that he's dead. Oh, wait. Well, but in his
0: mind... But oh, wait, we did miss something. This is where you were going with this. Before that happens, hold on a second. So he's telling the therapist the story, and he's at the part where he's talking about if he gets on the roller coaster again, he won't be able to get off and he's dead. So he goes back and he's talking to the therapist and the therapist says, go out. He goes, I need to leave. I need to get a breath of fresh air. And he goes, if you go out, I don't recommend it. He opens the door to the therapist's office to leave and the receptionist is the cat lady. She doesn't look like the cat lady as much anymore. She's not all creepy looking. She looks gorgeous. She's
1: definitely the cat lady.
0: Yes. So he's like, that's Maya. That's Maya. And he's like, what do you mean? And at that point, he turns around and runs full speed and yep. jumps out the top of the high sky. Says a
1: couple of bizarre sentences to the guy freaks out, looks all around and then just leaps out the window. He kills himself, jumps out the window, falls down 10 stories. Splat. That's the end of the, of him. So then it instantly goes to the, the psychiatrist and the reception is coming in. There we go. Yeah. And there he is laying on the, the sight couch Yep, asleep uh, to begin with. And then he is dead at that point.
0: And the therapist is holding his hand and he's like, he's like Maya, come here. Can you watch this? He's dead. He's dead. And she goes, he just walked in. And he goes, that's what happened. He walked in. I told him to lay down on the couch. And he was asleep in two seconds. Then you heard that scream you heard. And he's dead. And she goes, was it a heart attack? He goes, more than likely. Yep. And then that's pretty much it. And
1: that's how it ends. Okay. That's how it ends. Yes.
0: So. This is interesting because to me, this has a lot of stuff sampled by other popular culture, movies and films and everything like this. Obviously, the big one is Nightmare on Elm Street. If you die in your dream, you die in real life. That's why Freddy Krueger's always chasing people around. So I like that aspect of it because this would probably be the first time I had seen, in age order, uh, something where something in your dreams can kill you. Here's what I really dug about watching this one again is they don't explain why. It's just something, and it said he didn't sell his soul. It wasn't necessarily the devil. We don't know. It was just this thing, and he was right. He was right. For whatever reason, this dream, literally, he died in his sleep. For whatever reason, I thought that was so cool. I really enjoyed that aspect of it.
1: I I thought that the the storyline in his dream with that fun house, that was just... To me, it was a, a cheesy setup. Yeah. In, in dreams, I can see where in a dreamscape everything takes on a bizarre element, so it's not real. But the combination of the Catwoman dancing, then coming out, he's the only one there, and the old ticket guy takes his money, and he goes into the back room with her, and uh, a couple of times, then he goes back again. I just I found it bizarre. Yeah, and it was, it was a dreamscape, and yes, I had, I get that at the end, and it did kill him, yes, and he explains how when he was a teenager, he got sick, he got uh, a heart condition.
0: Oh, by the way, we've got about that part. It did say he had a heart condition. Yes. When he walked in, the doctor kind of read off yes. his stuff and goes, you know, 36-year-old man with a heart condition, blah, 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 so that could have been something to it. But- he claimed
1: he had rheumatic fever. Okay. And I only remember that because my youngest brother had that. Oh, interesting. So we, I got, didn't know. we got free penicillin from the state. So that was my mom's <laughs> pharmaceutical for us. We never went and saw doctors because we always had like a case of penicillin. So, so you, my youngest brother.
0: So you never had an infection in your we life? Never
1: had infections. We did grow additional <laughs> limbs. They were removed quite easily. But to this day, anytime someone mentions rheumatic fever, and I think they made it up in the 50s from this show because I've never heard anyone in the last 40 years again? that has ever had rheumatic fever, and my youngest brother is doing fine. All I know is we probably <laughs> still have some of those vials. It expired 45 years ago, but don't they say it even gets more potent, which means if you take one, you'll never get sick again. Ever. I like anyway, that. I keep taking the you old should... 45-year-old. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, enough about that. So...
0: Here we, uh, so I, I kind of like that that there's little references to something that happened to him before. It's his heart condition. What happened? Is it one of those things that when you're dying, you see something like that? Is it his version of seeing the afterlife? You know, who knows what it is? I just love the mystery of it. It's not even remotely touched on who she is because no one knows who she is except for him. And he doesn't even know who she is. Here's some cool trivia on this before we get into our ratings. Uh, the title, this is the first Twilight Zone episode aired that was written by Charles Beaumont. Yep. Based upon a short story, the same author came out in 1958 in Playboy magazine. The opening upward pan of the skyscraper appears to be the from the MGM movie that they stole the intro from. I thought that was interesting. Here's the one that I really want to bring up. This is the first Twilight Zone episode that starts with the iconic Twilight Zone theme song. Nice. Yeah. This is uh, and that's it. So it says here that Richard uh plays the man with a potentially deadly heart condition. In real life, the actor died of a heart attack at 65. I thought that was also wildly interesting. So anyway, let's give our ratings here. Once again, uh, we'll go just down our 1 through 10s on this episode. I gave it a 7. And what did you give it?
1: To those listening, this is going to be great because this series of four, we are going to have... Hyperbole. Oh,
0: okay. ...differing
1: ratings. Okay. So... Maybe the age factor kicks in. Maybe the fact that I have brain cells left that you can count on one hand. That might have something to do with it. I gave this a three.
0: I love that. Okay.
1: I, it just never, it never clicked for me. And at the end of it, I was wishing he just came in and jumped out the window immediately. Could have okay. saved the psychiatrist some billing. Well, he would have still billed him for it, but he wouldn't have had to listen to this guy or watch him. Because he never listened to him. Because it was all. Did a you just dream say
0: anyway. he would still bill him? Yeah, he's dead, but I'm <laughs> still going to bill that insurance Don't company. They do
1: that to this day? Isn't that the whole? Medical, yeah,
0: yeah. You die in the hospital. They still bill your still insurance. So anyway, yeah. okay. I gave I, it a three. I love that. But With, he was
1: dressed in a nice suit, so maybe a four.
0: So so far, this is your least favorite episode that we've covered yet.
1: Yes, yes. Okay,
0: that's cool. So for me, a seven on this show is relatively low, um, just because most of these episodes to me are eights and nines and tens, because I love this stupid show. This is on the lower side, but I still love the idea that this is kind of the person or the story that pioneered what made Freddy Krueger such a big thing, and I give that so much props, because at the time, I'll bet you people were watching this like, what the fuck is happening? Yes. You know, well, so I had no
1: clue until the very end. Exactly. Which again is a moniker for every episode of the Twilight Zone. So I, yes, I give you I raise mine to a three point
0: five. you <laughs> don't change your rating. I love it. Okay. IMDB has this at a seven point five.
1: Oh God. Okay. So there we go. So those that have been following my ratings
0: Dude, no harm, no foul. We don't care. Don't like it. Rate it how you want. That's the entire point of this. We can't all line up. Now, this next one, uh, let's get into this one. Good. This one, uh, (laughs) here we go. This is Judgment Night, aired on December 4th, 1959. And the bio is, it's 1942, and a man finds himself on a ship in the Atlantic, not knowing who he is, nor how he got there. He does know the ship will soon be attacked by a German U-boat. This was written by Rod Serling and directed by John Bram. Uh, There is a notable actor in this, uh, the main guy. Who uh, is obviously the antagonist? Niema Persoff, and he plays Carl. He's in a lot of things, and yes. I will tell you, regardless of my rating, I do give his acting chops a lot in this one. And these four episodes that we're covering today, I do think there's some amazing acting, especially the episode you and I just watched. The finish I completely too. Completely agree. So uh, great acting, Dad. Break down that bio. What happens in this one?
1: All right. So this guy, our star, is on the the bridge of this Carl. ship at night. Carl. He's on the Queen of Glasgow is the name of the ship. Yep, And they're cruising along, and he doesn't remember exactly what's going to happen. He just has this fear that there's going to be a U-boat attack. So he's outside, and someone comes out. Oh, he notices that the window, the portal, is open, so the light's getting out. So this is blackout days. So they didn't want to be seen, so they blacked the windows out. So he screams, shut the portal. You can see the light. So some guy comes out. They turn... They. put the curtain over it and they say, come on into the stateroom. It's time for dinner. Come and eat with us. So he walks in, he sits down at a table and there's a couple of people. There's two military.
0: You don't realize it at this moment, but that scene you just described is crucial to the movie or the episode because it, no spoilers, but that intro is crucial.
1: Yes. So he goes in, sits down, they introduce themselves to each other. There's a couple of people, two military folks, a guy and a gal. And then another uh older gentleman who's there, a businessman from Chicago. And so they apologize that the captain can't join him because he's on the bridge because it's foggy. It's a, it's a nighttime situation. It's foggy, they've slowed down. So this guy's talking, they're trying to introduce themselves to each other and his memory is still foggy. All he remembers is they ask him, so where are you from? And he goes, I'm from Germany. Well, these people now look at him shocked because we're fighting Germany and they're on a ship. And where are you from? I'm from Frankfurt. Frankfurt, Germany. Yeah, Frankfurt, Germany. And he's, but he still doesn't put it all together. He just no, his, I mean, and now his memory's coming back a little bit. And so, while they're talking, the captain comes in, introduces himself to the small table of people. Oh, and by the way, there's a little bar. This is the coolest little. I want to go on a freighter. By the way, because I was going to say little that kitchen has a bar. bar yeah. And a bartender, no joke. Dressed to the tens, See... serving up caught stuff i want to go on that yeah absolutely
0: freighter. i always thought that this was a military boat and it wasn't this no, is this, this is, is a, a cruiser a yeah it's just a freighter with a bar yes and it's got women and children and all sorts of people on it i mean that's crucial this bar well.
1: beats anything on carnival August, <laughs> any <of it. laughs> oh so my god if you're thinking of a cruise check just out take the glasgow check out the queen of glasgow she's got a great bar <laughs> okay let's keep <laughs> so going So anyway so while the captain's talking to him the, our hero or our, the star of the show brings up well the said. fact that, uh, yeah, the engines, uh, making some noises,
0: the engine stopped
1: the, the, actually it was grind, it was making a noise. And the guy said, yeah, there's some bearings. They'll fix it up. It's not a problem. They can repair this easy. And so they're focused now on the condition because he says, you know, if we slow down, we're going to be an easy target. And the guy goes, no, there's not a wolf pack out here. No, it's going to be a single sub. Now, all of a sudden, he's starting to picture this in his mind. And they're going to surface, and they don't have to hit us with torpedoes. They're just going to shoot their guns, the deck gun, and blow us out of the water. So the captain's looking at him quizzically, and then the captain leaves, goes up to the room. Our guy is says, you know what? I'm tired. I'm going to go back to my stateroom. The captain then talks to one of his shipmates and says, watch this guy. He knows a lot about submarines. So anyway, this... Steward follows our guy to his room, wants to help him unpack. And the guy says, yeah, I think I'm just going to go to bed. And so the steward gets in his closet and pulls out a captain's hat. And this is a submarine captain's hat from Germany. A German, and says, U-boat, a ca- German yeah. U-boat captain's hat. And he says, is this a war souvenir? And then he gets a little irate. Our star gets a little irate. No, give that back. That's mine. You don't have any right to go in there. So anyway, then the guy goes up and tells the captain, "This is, you know, this is what's there." So the captain has the guy come up to the deck, wants to talk to him. So our star goes up there and he says, "You know, I'm curious. You know, an awful lot about this. What's going to happen?" Well, this is what's going to happen. They're going to see us
0: at 1:15. We're gonna we're gonna be yeah, floating yeah. here, sit, listless yes. at 1:15, and he's starting to get hysterical. Yes, yeah, 12:15. Ex-
1: they then pan to the clock. It's 12:15. You, so there's an hour left. Yes. So all the while they're
0: at your bar, by the way. This whole thing takes place okay, at the bar. So, then he,
1: so <laughs> then he leaves. They show the clock above the bar. And uh, at that point, the, ca- the captain goes up. The engine then stops. Now all of a sudden, and our guy's looking around. He goes, the engine stopped. The engine stopped. And he starts freaking out. So he runs out on the deck. Then you see the clock, and it says 115. Now all of a sudden, it's all going to happen because you know something's going to happen. He takes some binoculars, because every freighter has binoculars. Just right? lying around. They're like life preservers.
0: Yeah, they, they, they literally did that. Yeah, that so was funny. he
1: grabs the binoculars and he looks, and on the deck of the submarine that has surfaced, he sees himself looking at him. So now all of a sudden he knows exactly what's happening. And these guys are scrambling up and down. They look like fire ants running up and down this, the U-boat. Building, yeah. this conning tower. And they start shooting at the ship, and he's... Screaming, screaming! You got to get to the. You've got to get out of your staterooms. We've got to get off the ship. Abandon ship. We need to yep. abandon ship. And all of a sudden, no one's around. He starts running through the hallways. He goes down, and he sees all these people huddled. He says, "You got to get out of here. You got to save yourselves." And then he blinks again, looks back, and there's no one there in that corner where the family was. So he then runs back outside. He's looking. All of a sudden, there's explosions going on. This ship is getting attacked, and He ends up leaning against the guardrail that gets blown off. He falls into the ocean. At the end of that, the next scene is the U-boat captain is in his stateroom. One of his... uh,
0: Commandants or, you know, someone, yeah, comes in.
1: comes in board and is freaking out a little bit. He's very concerned. He goes, you know, we didn't give him any warning, and it was just a regular freighter, and we could have saved their lives. There were women and children on there. And he says, yeah, but wasn't that a great, a great score? We sank a 9,000 ton freighter. that's what we're here to do. And this guy says, you know, I'm really concerned. He goes, man, you. So our captain is sort of harassing him saying, you've actually got a conscience. And this is going to be a negative for you yeah. because we have one mission. Yep. And that's to sink tonnage yep. and sink. Yeah. Chest. He
0: keeps on mentioning how much weight it was. Yes. That was their point was yes. just to sink tonnage and they didn't yes. care who was on it.
1: So he accomplished the mission this second or third in command has this conscience and says you know captain what if the souls of them can come back we're going to be haunted forever by what we have done and can you imagine if our penalty is that we have to relive this night over and over and over again for eternity and that's the end of this thing yeah because the next scene is he's back on the bridge. It's night. It's foggy. The window, the portal is on again, and he screams. That's would somebody turn this light out yep. so we're not seen? So it goes right back to the very beginning, and that's the end. Yep. So you know that he's reliving this thing over and over.
0: Again. That's what the narration at the end says too. They don't leave it ambiguous at the end. Rod Serling's thing literally says. Captain What's-His-Name is going to relive this night. Captain Carl Lester is going to live yes. this night again over and over for the rest of his life, and that's his torture for you know, the atrocities that he committed, yada, yada, yada. So before we get into the ratings and stuff like that, I, I wanted to say something real quick. I thought that he was a very good actor. He acted hysterical when he was trying to do it, and I thought that that's oh, a yeah. hard thing to do. But what I really wanted to say on this one was more of the technical. When they started shooting the boat and the way that our boat lit on fire and the way that the rooms opened and all the props that were there, and you mentioned it even when he leaned on the handrail and the handrail went down, the other two guys jumped in the boat, and the second that they jumped in the boat, the line snapped and it fell into the water. I think it's my favorite bit of practical effects in this era. I don't know how they actually did that. Go back and watch it when those guys jump on that one boat, you know, the dinghy to escape, you know, the lifeboat the first line literally snaps and they fall down the
1: Titanic when that happens
0: exactly i'm i'm telling you that that was unintentional and i don't know where they they filmed this on the mgm lot so they had a pool but i'm telling you the practical effects in this one were great the fire and the way that the boat was falling apart seemed very real like from the line snapping and then falling in the water from him leaning on the rail to stop it and then the whole rail falling over i was impressed with that
1: you just stole my thunder of all the ones that we've seen so far the special effects
0: you were like going to say the same
1: thing to me that was the greatest. My fucking thing. man, yes they then show up there's a section where they show the submarine as the guys are preparing those, and it's a submarine yeah it's a real one and they it's show a it half submarine, under and they show the guys cranking the gears and yeah. lifting up the periscope and the ship is so real you get sucked in i got sucked into this in the first two minutes because of the acting and because of the, setup the realism yeah the it was scenery this was so realistic that i watched this totally enthralled the whole 30 minutes because the setting was so realistic this is the fire the the, the, the fire money is... they spent yeah on this here this one that in the episode before just jumps out of a glass a sugar glazed glass mm-hmm. window and splats and this they've recreated world war II in the ocean yeah. with a submarine attacking a freighter I was completely overwhelmed by the real. real, See, okay, cool.
0: So we can both agree on that. Now I'm curious if our reviews are going to separate. Because I gave this a five, which would be on my lower scale of this. And the reason why is because I kind of hate the idea of, perpetuity just like repeating itself that whole like twist at the end i always kind of get bugged out by that for some reason it's just a personal thing i hate the idea of reliving steve and i did a uh, a show a little while ago about time travel and our favorite one is this one called palm springs where every day is a repeat of each other and to me that always just skeeves me out so that's a weird thing but also i just outside of the technical stuff i'm telling you I kept getting bored in this episode. This is the one that I kept falling asleep in and I didn't realize that I was missing sections. Dad, I literally had to watch this three times so that I got every bit of it because I'm like, wait, what am I missing? So I had to keep rewatching it. For that reason alone, for some reason, this one just could not stick my attention span. Got it. What do you got?
1: I gave it an eight. Okay. I would have given it even a little more. Again, I love the special effects. Agreed. The technical I for me is
0: incredible. Action. I'm wondering if mine's too low.
1: The actors no. that played this, the two military people, the woman especially, who meets him at the guard on the, on the railing towards the end, is talking y- to him. Yeah. The banter back and forth is so realistic. The barman, I love the bar guy. He make a killer Long Island iced tea, you I know, think.
0: <laughs> they're all English. Can I go to your point as a negative? You know, the German, our guy, when yeah. he's the German commander and his, like, second-in-command yes. comes in? Why does he have an American accent? <laughs> he doesn't have one. He sounds like you and me. This is the, he's like,
1: the end of the war. He's at a they German... recruit. Human.
0: No, they They're didn't. Outside. They were not recruiting Americans to sink other people. That's not the thing. So this broad-haired guy comes in, and, he's, and he sounds like you and me. And I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah. What is going on? Where is your accent, sir? Yeah. Couldn't you get someone else with a German accent?
1: Because you not actor. They failed in that point, but again... I completely oh. overlooked that because of the realism agreed of, of this of the setup. And when he looked through the glasses and sees himself, this is the classic Twilight Zone its twist. twist yep. And he sees himself looking at himself. I was hooked on this one. And I love old war movies. I love the black and white because the shading of the black and white gives every scene in this uh, realism. Well, more importantly
0: than that, I think that the black and white and the way that they're so good at lighting this made Fire looked terrifying. When yeah. that lady is like trying to get out of the porthole and the wall is on fire, yeah. kind of freaked me out. So, saying it out loud, this is why I like bantering this. I raised it up to a six. This is not a five. I have other things that are fives. This is significantly better. This to me is more like a six or a seven. I'm altering that better it out. Let's end the review on this one with your thoughts in German.
1: Es war überhaupt fantastisch. Ich habe das so schön angekriegt. Es war für mich perfekt fast. Ich habe es ein 8 gegeben, aber es könnte auch ein 10 sein. Naja, so ist das Leben.
0: I freaking love that I have no idea what the I heard you say perfection at one yes. point in time and that is it. God damn, I love it when you do that. It's so funny. By the way, my dad speaks fluent German. Uh all right, so and I was a
1: U-boat commander. <laughs> <laughs>
0: With an American accent. Yeah, well, You
1: know what? I had to recruit. That's what I'm telling you. In real life, at the end of the war, they had to pull from Scotland and Ireland. So
0: so there's some interesting trivia on this one. Okay. In 1959, Ben Wright was also in the MGM film, The Wreck of the Mary Dier, which uh, is the, the same set that they used for the Queen of Glasgow. Wow. Really interesting. Uh, here you go. Okay. Professor uh, Nemov Persoff, who plays a Nazi officer, is actually Jewish. He was born in 1919 in Jerusalem in what later became the State of Israel. I kind of like that. Very cool. So here's the one thing that I wanted to read on this one. Talking about uh, censorship from sponsors in the late 1959 interview with Mike Wallace, 18 scripts in the first season. Mike, we've had one line changed, which was a little ludicrous, but insufficient basic concern with the context of this story not to put up a fight. On the bridge of the British ship, the sailor calls down to the galley and asks in my script for a pot of tea, because I believe it's constitutionally acceptable in the British Navy to drink tea. One of my sponsors, General Foods, happens to sell instant coffee, and he took great umbrage with this, or at least minor umbrage anyway, with the idea of saying tea, Well, he had a couple of swings back and forth, nothing serious, and they decided to ask for a a, trade sent up to the bridge. But in 18 scripts... That's the only conflict they ever had. Wow. Literally, their biggest deal was or the tea word or tea coffee. or coffee because uh, General Foods was their sponsor. This is one of those things that you have to put yourself in the time. We don't have that today. Sponsors don't give a flying fuck about what you're putting on the show unless it's on PC. They don't, you, that's when you'll get people to yank it. But other than that... They, Hotels.com, Airbnb, you know, Target. They don't care. They just sell for the time and the show would get you the most clicks. Back then, they actually cared about what you said in the show. How wild is that?
1: Now, I'll close this episode on this observation. The submarine is a hybrid. When they're underwater, they're running on batteries. Batteries. Electrical. But they have to surface to recharge them, so it's a diesel. So, it's a diesel electric hybrid. So, those of you out there listening, in 1959.
0: This was the Prius of submarines. This
1: was the Prius. And now here we are, (laughs) 80 years later, (laughs) we're finally catching up with the Twilight Zone. I think that's pretty amazing.
0: Absolutely. All right, moving along here. We have two episodes left. We are down. uh, Let's see here. We're just about a half an hour into this one. So, going over. How's it going? Hi. Here we go. All right. This is season one, episode 11. Called, And When the Sky Was Opened, came out December 11th, 1959, written by Rod Serling and Richard Matheson, who is a famous screenwriter, and directed by Mr. Douglas Hayes. The bio of this is, three astronauts return to Earth after seemingly having made an encounter that dooms them and their craft to erasure from existence. Dad. What? Let's do this. Okay. Go for it. Just so we're clear, this is gonna be a hard one to explain in five minutes. So broad strokes.
1: So you got three Air Force guys. The first scene is the best scene of the whole episode. So spoiler alert, I am not a big fan of this one. However, (laughs) I know, I know. This is where I said you and I are gonna have different This is a wild
0: episode. I
1: love the very first scene, shows an aerial shot of a hangar. With this bizarre-looking spacecraft under a giant tarp, all you can see is a general shape.
0: With 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 people around it, so it's like an American ship. It's not a spaceship.
1: But only a couple of people is pretty. Okay, I but... thought it was pretty much a bad... anyway, Ooh, okay. Anyway, it's the X Twenty. That's the name of this ship, and I'm going. Okay, this is going to be cool because this is going to be a spaceship saga. Well, the story has nothing to do with that, other than that's the headline of the newspaper and a reason to write an episode. The story is about the three guys that return. Apparently something dramatic happened on re-entry. They all blacked out. They don't remember how they landed. They ended up in a desert. So I guess this spaceship has autopilot because they crashed through the atmosphere. They ended up crashing in the desert. That's got to, that's not a soft landing. That's got to be a pretty hard landing as you and I both know. As people have said before. As people have said before. Yes. And, uh, so they're in the hospital and the very beginning, the three of them are there, then one of them's in a bed. I think the second one is in a bed as well. No, they're both, two of them are okay. One of them is, is injured and they're talking to each other, but it starts out with one of them in a hallway, hiding, looking around and then runs back into the hospital room and they're talking The three of these guys are talking, bantering back and forth. And there's a newspaper and it says the three astronauts return from space.
0: This is a very big moment, moment, the newspaper, because it's a very back-to-the-future thing. This is crucial because they showed this newspaper around a million times. Also, there's a lot of trivia. There's a lot of funny references to the filmmakers in that newspaper, if you don't look at it, by the way. I mean, I'm not going to go through that later because it's too minutia. Continue, sir.
1: Sorry. So the two guys that aren't bedridden leave. They go to a bar. They're talking about it. They're recognized by the bartender. He, he offers to give the guy a beer on the house. So they're bantering back and forth. But this first guy is sweating. He's a little nervous. He runs. He, he goes into the telephone booth. And he tells the guy, you know what? Something's going on. I'm not feeling right. I just don't feel well. He goes into the telephone booth, I think, to look up a phone number, to find somebody to call. Yeah. And he's in there. The door's closed. <laughs> this is a bar with a... With a British phone booth inside it. You know,
0: yeah, I thought so too at first, but then I realized I think in this time, a lot of those, Dick Tracy, every yes. place had that, yes. you know, so it's just weird. I was never yes. around. I just, like. Uh, it is so I funny. Remember that I think I go to the British, one. it's not quite the big red one no, like the British one. It's a
1: walnut one. <laughs> Sorry. I guess that's the Americanized version. So, pilot number two, who's sitting at the bar, and there's some babe sitting there next to him who's yeah. hanging out there the whole yeah. time. And he gets up. He's a little worried. So he goes to check out his buddy inside and he's gone. He's completely gone. So he runs back to the bar. Can we,
0: hold on a second though. One thing though, because this is something I really caught watching it again just now is his buddy starts, he drops his pint of beer and he says, he goes, I just got this feeling that I'm not supposed to be here. And he goes, what do you mean? And he goes, I just... I got the feeling that I'm not supposed to be here, and the bartender goes, "No problem, I'll give you another beer." So he fills him up another pint, and he is clearly shaken, and yep. that's why he goes to the phone booth is to call his parents. And he says, "I got to go call my thing. parents." So he goes to the phone booth and he goes, "You know what? However the hell they used to call on the phone, like Tetris five five six, you know, yeah." And he goes, "Can I get the residence of Mr. and Mrs. Something in Tulsa or yep. uh, Des Moines, Iowa?" So then he comes back and goes. They never heard of him. There is, they don't have a son. They never had a son. There we go.
1: Thank you. Sorry, I missed No, you. no, no, that's okay, because that's the part that
0: creeps me out on this yeah. episode.
1: So they had never heard of him. So then he goes back in. He's in the bar or in the uh, phone booth when he disappears. So pilot number two...
0: Pilot number two, by the way, is Rod Taylor, who is a huge actor. I'm going to talk yes. about him later yes. because he's literally on one of my top 20 lists. And uh, he's in Psycho and a bunch of other shit, but go ahead, go no, he ahead. Is v- he is very Not good. Psycho, he's, I'm sorry, The Birds. He's very
1: well. In this. Yes. He goes back to the bar, uh, says, where's my buddy? Where's his beer? Well, who, what buddy? What beer? And he looks around, he says, well, the beer you gave to me spilled, it, he dropped it on the floor. And he looks on the floor and there's no glass. It's clean, no beer. yeah. Okay. So then he's really freaking out. Then he's thinking back to what the other guy said about, I've got this strange feeling that we shouldn't have come back. We should not be here. So. Then he runs out of the place, ends up in the hospital room talking to the pilot number three. And he's trying to explain to him, this is the weirdest thing. He wasn't there. You know, Edward, you know this guy. He's like, I've known
0: him for 15 years. You've known him for five. How dare you say you don't know who he is?
1: And the the pilot in bed keeps saying, I don't know who you're talking about. What do you mean you don't know? He's he's freaking out. And
0: he shows him the newspaper and the newspaper.
1: At this point, the newspaper says two pilots return instead of three. So now he's really freaking out, right? So does he leave again? He runs because it's the next. No, he goes, girl. he goes,
0: he goes, I'm going to tell you exactly what happened so that you can remember what is going on. So he's sitting there in the hospital room and he goes, this is what happened. So then it kind of goes to a flashback and he starts saying, we were together. We did this. I sat right here and you told me, don't let him drink too much. He drinks too much. We left. We left. We did all of this stuff and came back, and uh, then he disappears, and so our guy, his name is Lieutenant Colonel Greg, uh, Clegg Forbes, played by uh, Rod Taylor, who's the protagonist yeah. of this, he then goes, and he's losing it, because his friend just disappeared, he doesn't understand, he goes back to his ho- his like apartment, and his girlfriend, who's probably 60 years old, um, she comes over, and that's a joke, it's an inside we'll joke, in we'll talk about minutes. this later, but... um, she comes in and he is like, don't you remember him? He's gone. What happened? And she goes, it was, I don't know who you're talking about. It's always just been you and me and blah, 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 and whatever. So from that moment, we get that he's been erased everywhere. Like no one knows who he is, even the right. people. And he goes, I even wrote it on a telegram. I wrote it on the telegram. Get the telegram. I wrote, Greg and I are leaving in the morning. And he gets the telegram and it says, I'm leaving in the morning. Everything has been changed. So he now is flipping the fuck out. And it goes from that back to the hospital room where yep. he's retelling the story to the guy, his partner, who is laying in bed.
1: And, he's, and he's, he's, he's freaked out like the first guy was at the very beginning, saying, I know we're not supposed to be here. There's something. And then he gets that feeling. He stops. This, and is he the, goes,
0: this gives me the chills right now. I just
1: have this feeling that we were not supposed to come back. Then he gets really agitated and he and he grabs the guy in bed by the shoulders. You got to listen to me. So and so was there. What do you I don't even know her. What do you mean? No, I don't know this person you're talking about. I think it's his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. No. It was just the two of us. It always was. And at th- that point he completely loses it and he runs out of the hospital room and screams and runs down the hall where a guy in bed suddenly has this energy drink alert. He jumps out of bed. He runs to the door, throws it open because he wants to shout and have his buddy come back and he looks down this long hall and it's empty and he's screaming for the guy. And at the end of the hall out comes a nurse from another room and comes running to the room, major, major, what's going on? Well, didn't you see so-and-so? No, there's nobody there. No, you know who I'm talking about. No, there's nobody else there. Come back into bed. I didn't there was nobody well you have to know this guy i don't know who you're talking about so now he's thinking oh my god this is now happening to to me." me so she puts him in bed and once she puts him in bed he looks at the end of his bed where the newspaper was and now the newspaper says lone pilot returns from a successful space mission so now he realizes this is going to happen to him also and
0: this is this moment right here freaks me out like wicked bad. You know cuz anyway, keep going.
1: So, well he basically just vanishes.
0: So he gets out of bed and he looks and he's gone. So he's sitting there and he is reading this newspaper seeing this and then the camera goes to the hallway again. And the nurse is now talking to a doctor and the doctor goes, "Well, what rooms do we have?" and she says, "Well, we have room 113 available. It seats 3." They walk down there to the room, they open it up, and they are all gone.
1: This doctor, he's a military, he's like a general. Can you imagine if you would spend your whole career and all your job now is is to check the rooms to yeah, see if, to see if there's for room a for three nurse? people? Let's see if this room is ready. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> they walk down, and she opens the door, and there aren't even any beds in this room. No, this it's, room is it's spotless. completely empty. And I will add that when the second guy was still there, He comes back in and he says, don't you remember he was in the other bed? And they look over and now there's no bed. bed. There is no bed. So the beds are disappearing. Everything's disappearing. This is like Langoliers. Everything is getting eaten up and time is just munching everything. So anyway, the room's empty and this uh, military general who's in charge of bed placement, I guess, (laughs) looks to the nurse. Nurse, I think we can get two beds in here for the... uh, Patience of cholera what, or, or whatever Yeah, doesn't it doesn't matter. Yes, yes, sir. I will get two beds up here. And they leave and that's the end. No, it's not
0: the end. No, what, the best part is the very end. When no, Rod Sterling's talking starts, the camera goes back to the hangar where the, plug, oh, the yes, X-5 yes, was yes. originally covered in a sheet. Now the same shape of the ship that was made by, what do you call those? Those uh, tans barriers? You know, just the, yes, the yes, wood yes, barriers. Yes. Is there and the sheet that was... Covering their recovered craft is now folded politely in yeah, the middle two in a little square. little
1: squares on a big tarp, just sitting there.
0: And the narration says something along the lines, and this is where the final narration is kind of important. This one, he goes, someone or something took them back and erased them from everybody's memory. Blah 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 blah. And it ends with that shot of the hangar with the ship literally being gone. In the same shape of where it was, yes. is now the tarp is folded up. So I, I freaking adore this episode, and I have to go back and say, Rod Taylor, who plays the main guy, Lieutenant Colonel Greg Forbes, he's one of my all-time favorites, and I'm gonna tell you some of the things that he's been in so that you can remember. He played Winston Churchill in, uh, in Glorious Bastards. He was the main guy in The Birds. He was the main guy in H, uh, George Wells, H G Wells' The Time Machine. He also was the voice of Pongo in 101 Dalmatians, the original. I love this guy. He's so good, and the acting that he does, because this episode is 80% him losing his mind, and watching him go through the range of emotion is so good. Once again, these four episodes have some of the best acting you see in this one. Uh, Let's go through this.
1: Uh, Let's see here. He also is the first Marvel character in history, (laughs) because he goes back to the bar at night to find out where his buddy is, And he runs through a plate glass door and he comes out completely unscathed. It was amazing.
0: We're making kind of a joke on that, except when it happens live, it's jarring. Like the guy is losing his shit completely and he just steps through a fucking plate glass window and it looks, it's obviously real and it's probably sugar glass, but it was so great. Uh, Rod Serling wrote a scene for the crash landing for the spaceship, but they wiped it. They said it was better without the crash, just having it more ambiguous that they landed, heavily relying on the newspaper, because the newspaper talks about the crash. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Jim Hutton's TV debut. That's kind of interesting. And uh, the rest of this is kind of nonsense. But let's go through the ratings, because this is one of my top 10 episodes maybe maybe top 20 this gives a a nine rating for me it has a high rating on imdb based on your analysis i'm trying to feel you out what's your rating on this one
1: what do you think this i've never asked you this before guess my rating before i give it to
0: you. i'm going to guess a seven or an eight
1: okay i gave it a six okay all right which is in that range again the the concept which which you which fascinates you and i understand that yeah it does it really I found it's a... it had to me it was a little bit confusing because as i started overthinking it of not course. only did they disappear they didn't come back but their whole existence was wiped out well if you take this principle of six degrees of separation mm-hmm. then everything would have disappeared literally it would be the langoliers all over you know you're would eating up time and
0: space and existence and, and so everything at
1: that point If that theory is true and these guys shouldn't have come back and then their existence didn't exist, then maybe the general that he called shouldn't have existed. Nothing should have existed. Well said. It would have all ended. So I found that to be a little bit of a stretch, but I know why they wrote it that way. You're not going to overthink it.
0: It's a 22-minute episode. It's not a three-hour Christopher Nolan film where you can do all of that. I totally feel that, and I, I agree. I think that on that same point, it's amazing that they crammed that much into yes. twenty-two minutes. But
1: don't they do that in every episode? Isn't of course, why there's always the twist. A hundred percent,
0: a hundred percent, and that's why this has an eight point four rating, which puts mm-hmm. it, I would say, in the top twenty percent of the IMDb ratings for this. Awesome. So, an eight point four. I just once again, I don't like movies that end with ambiguous. You choose the endings. I. I kind of hate that because I think it's a cop-out for writers. Let's let the viewer choose. No, 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 you need to fucking tell me the story and you need to give me an ending. That's why I hated Lost so much because they never had a good ending for it. This gives you a, sus- a succinct ending, but also it's ambiguous of what the hell happened. Did they go in it? Because he says something like, they. they. He says like, was it us or was it them or it? Very ambiguous. Did they go through a wormhole and then he says because they we got through and we weren't supposed to which makes me think like what did they encounter was it an alien species was it time in general did you guys doing this break the laws that we gave you so now we're going to go and withdraw you so that it doesn't fuck up our future is it future humans which is attached later in other episodes of the twilight zone where people are in the future coming back And I don't know, that's the thing that haunts me is what the fuck actually was that? What made it wipe everything from everyone's memory? In writing, he literally wrote a telegram saying, Greg and I are leaving in the morning. And then he sees the note that says, I'm leaving in the morning. What caused that? What did it and I-
1: So let me give you one ending. This is a 10 second ending to this and then we'll move on. That's good. And I'm gonna ask you your thoughts. What if there was at the very end, a newspaper that blew into the hangar And it laid there on the tarp, the empty tarp, because the ship is now gone. Everything is gone. And you're trying to wrap this thing up. What if, so it's not ambiguous. What if the headline at the very end said, spaceship lost?
0: Okay. Now you're talking Planet of the Apes kind of style stuff. And that, I would have loved that. That
1: that would have wrapped this whole thing up in my mind. And it would have tied in three to two to one to zero. Okay. Now that makes the whole thing make sense to me that they weren't supposed to come back, but in fact the spaceship did launch. Otherwise, all of history would have been wiped out. Okay. I like it if you'd have just had one more newspaper clipping, one more headline that said ship lost, spaceship yep. lost.
0: Okay, I love that. But I, I I think I like it equally as much as the ending of this one because I I kind of love the idea that something Wipe them out for whatever reason. Right. To me, it feels vindictive. Someone was pissed because he says we got through and we shouldn't have. What got through? What and who says you shouldn't have? Something about the greater whatever the hell creeps me the fuck out. Which is why I love this episode. Is whatever happened to them? I don't get, but I blame I, do, I do. I do love. <laughs> I do love your potential ending. It's, all right. So this one has an eight point four. I have a high rating on this one. Yours is more moderate. Row, yep. That's all right. And uh, here we go. So we're going to end our episode today with one that I am. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I'm fucking pumped because I know where you stand on this one. And this is a very good episode. We are at 49 minutes. So we need okay. to do this one relatively quickly, which kind of sucks because it's so it good. This, is
1: this one deserves more time.
0: Season one, episode 12. It is called What You Need. It's directed by Al- Alvin Ganser, written by Rod Serling. Henry Kuttner, based on the short story that he wrote, and C.L. Moore, who co-wrote the short story, this was first aired on Christmas Day, 1959, ending the first season, kind of if you call it a season. It was more of a halfway break of the Twilight Zone. Do it, man. The bio says a small-time crook plans to exploit an old street peddler who has the uncanny knack of selling people exactly what they will shortly need. Dad, go for it.
1: Street peddlers. This is a recurrent theme in the twilight. Yes, movie. it is. We one just one had one last episode time. Episode two, the old man yep. that had the toys. Yep. So again, it's a rainy, dark night. The first scene is this street with the rain coming down and this bar, the green parrot or something. And the guys are sitting in the bar. There's a couple of guys at the bar, lonely looking, mean, sort of looking. One guy is a grouchy dude. The other guy looks like he's just lost his whole family at the bar. And then there's a couple of miscellaneous people there. And bartender's helping him and some old guy walks in and he's this street peddler. He's got his briefcase again, full of trinkets. And he goes to an empty booth, opens it up and he starts walking around to the different patrons and goes to a young lady and says, uh, can I, is there anything you need? Well, I guess, I guess I could use some matches. No, what you really need is stain remover spot remover. She goes, what? Yes, this is what you really need. So he reaches out it in his pocket, pulls out this clear bottle of liquid and hands it to her. And she looks at him and she takes it. She's surprised. She takes it, puts it in her pocket. Next, he goes, walks around and he goes up to the bar and he comes to the first guy. He says, is there anything I can help you with? Well, old timer, I don't think you've got what I need. And then, uh, so this other dude at the end of the bar is looking at him quizzically and the bartender says, "I here's what he really needs. He's an ex-baseball player. And his left arm, he was a pitcher, and his left arm blew out. So, well, what does he do now? Well, he comes in here seven nights a week and just reminisces about his baseball career and drinks himself into oblivion basically every night. So the old street peddler says, I know what you need. And the guy looks at him, the baseball ex-baseball player, says, what's that? And he pulls out a ticket. And it's a ticket, a bus ticket to Scranton. He goes, a bus ticket to Scranton. Well, I don't know what this means. Trust me, it's what you need. Ring, ring. Then he goes, he's walking around further and he goes to the uh, third guy. But when he first starts talking to the third guy, the phone is ringing. The same phone booth in the back of the car. I think it's the the same same set. Yeah. And someone says, hey, Charlie, the phone calls for you. So this is the ex baseball player. He gets up, goes into the booth. And you hear him talking and all of a sudden he's smiling he's getting a little more animated and he comes back he hangs up the phone comes back to the bar and says you'll never believe this my old uh, one of my old uh, coaches has been trying to reach me for two weeks he's got a coaching job for me uh for a minor league team in scranton ohio and then instantly the guy at the end of the bar, the grouchy dude. The bad guy. He the is bad the, guy.
0: He's the antagonist of the episode. His name is Fred in the episode, played by actor Steve okay. Cochran.
1: He looks up, and all of a sudden, the light bulbs go on in the ex-ball player's hands, and the old guy just says, it's what you need. So he's all happy now. He's got his ticket to Scranton that was predicted by the old guy, and now the phone booth goes. So anyway, he goes to the, the old man goes to the third guy, and he says, tell me, old man, what is it I need? And he says... Well, what you need is a pair of scissors. A pair of scissors? What do you mean a pair of scissors? There's got to be something. No, a pair of scissors. Takes the scissors. Next scene, our antagonist is walking through the rain, goes into his hotel room, hits the doorman who's behind the counter and says, give me my keys. He goes up to his room, but he gets in one of those old elevators where they have the metal doors that close. Well, he's sitting there. He's got his coat and his scarf on, and he hits the button. The elevator starts going up, but his scarf is stuck in the door. So he starts strangling and he's reaching, he's falling on the floor. He's trying to reach the buttons. He can't reach him. Instantly, he remembers, I got these scissors. He cuts the, the scarf with the scissors. It saves his life. He realizes I needed these scissors. So he's thinking about, okay, what else can this guy give me? So the next scene is the old man, the peddler comes in from another night of work in the street. He goes into his darkened apartment and turns on the lights. And here's the bad guy sitting in his room like he knew where he lived. And the guy says, okay, old man, what's in there for me? I don't know what, I gave you what you needed. No, what's in there for me? And he's so threatening that the old man pulls out. Yeah, he's
0: a dick. He's an absolute he asshole. Is, and he is, this guy he is, is threatening is threat him. It. Yeah, he is desperate. So the
1: old man pulls out a ball, an ink pen, a, a, a pen, a fountain pen. And the old guy, pen, what are you doing? After he gave him scissors that saved his life, you'd think he would have realized that this is, is something important. Right. Anyway, he opens it and it drops a blob of ink. This thing doesn't even work. He looks down at the paper and it fell on the daily race, the track projections for the next day's race. And instantly, the guy goes, "It fell on this horse in the third race." Well, the next scene is he's in the next day's in his bedroom, and there's a bunch of cash laying on the bed, and he says, "Yep, my horse. That was it. If I I could have made millions, but he made two hundred and forty-two bucks, which to him was a ton of money." They,
0: that's in the trivia. That translated today is two hundred. Uh... Okay. So
1: anyway, now he's, he says, I've got to make that. I can make this happen. So he puts the money in his pocket. He runs out. It's night again. He finds the old peddler. He's on the street. He's just packing up and he says, all right, man, what's in there for me? Now he goes, no, I gave you what you needed. No, you gave me what I needed then, but I need more. We're a partnership. What is in there now? So he grabs the guy's briefcase the suitcase starts throwing shit around and pulls out a box and opens it and it's a box of leather shoes brand new leather shoes what does this mean old man shoes and he's the old man's just looking at him and he's nodding his or shaking his head like no no it's not what you need but he interrupts him and he goes all right put these shoes on he lays down there on the wet curb takes off his old shoes
0: this is a dark this is a dark kind of late manhattan streets oh, right so city rainy yeah.
1: cobblestone it's an intersection and he puts on the shoes, stands up. Old man, these are leather shoes with leather soles. I hate leather sho- soles. And they're tight. They hurt my feet. But you know what? You gave them to me. That means that something's going to happen. I guess I put the shoes on. And I'm supposed to walk somewhere. And that's what I'm supposed to do, right, old man? And in the while this guy's ranting about the shoes not being the right size, our old guy is starting to pull Packet back of and walk, stuff, stuff, and sneak across the street. The hood says, "Wait a minute! Where are you going? I, 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 I know it, This is not what I what you need." But he goes, "Old man, I can get anything I want from you." Well, he goes, "I'm gonna come over there. I could kill you right now."
0: Yeah, he's actually threatening him right now. He yeah. is threatening
1: him. And the old man's trying to scurry away. He's really intimidated by this mean guy, and so the mean guy. Because he has the leather shoes, he walks across. He says, I'm going to get you, old man. And he starts walking. And then they show his feet. And because the cobblestones are wet, he slips. Yeah, and it's the leather. Because of the leather soles. And then it shows this big, gigantic, like an etzel, come ripping around the corner and hits him and kills him. And he goes flying in the air and lands. And the old man is just looking at him. And then he says, you know, it isn't what you needed but I knew you were going to kill me. The minute I looked in your eyes in the bar the first time, I knew that you were going to kill me. So this time it's what I needed. And so then people start coming around. This is yep. There's multiple twists in this. This one is awesome. All these people hear the crash. They come running out. It's late at night. There's an old rickety ambulance there. And this is like an old cartoon where the guys put down the stretcher yep. and they're trying yep. to load him up in there. And these people are gawking around. And these, this disheveled couple, couple come out of an apartment. What happened, honey? Oh, look at him. I don't know. Well, I guess he got hit, right? Yeah, it's hit and run. So then a, a newspaper guy appears with one of those big cameras with the flash bulbs, And he says, okay, to this old couple, I need a picture for the newspaper. And he's, the, the husband's all disheveled. His hair's all over the place. But the old man, before the camera, the news guy came up, he said, can I offer you anything? What do you mean? It's the middle of the night. What do you have? That we need maybe shoelaces. I don't need shoelaces. He goes, I know what you need you need a comb. So he gives this guy a (laughs) comb and leaves. Well, flash forward 20 seconds. The camera guy says, I want to take your picture for the newspaper. And the wife looks at him, honey, you're you're a mess, but remember the, the comb, he gave you a comb. Oh, that's right. So he does his hair back and all of a sudden he's transformed into a photo worthy picture of himself. And that's the end of the show. So I want to comment, but I'm going to get yours first. I'm going to let you no, know. This
0: is your episode. I love this.
1: Okay. Go. I found this to be the most fast. I had never seen this before.
0: This is your first time. I remember this you told me first that. Yeah, i time
1: on this. I went back and watched this a couple of times. The the storyline is so intense. Every human emotion. Again, you're sucked into this bar from the very first minute. The interaction with the young woman. Oh, by the way, she used the stain remover because our baseball player didn't want to look bad in his interview, but he had a spot on this suit jacket. And she goes, you know what? I've got this spot remover. It'll remove it. So she used it on him. So all of a sudden, there's this relationship between the mm-hmm. two. There's some chemistry there. So this whole thing is playing itself out. And this bad guy got exactly what he deserved. But there was joy in this. There was supernatural in this. There was every single thing you could find in a full-length movie wrapped into 30 minutes. I give this a 10. Ten, I love this. That. Mov- this episode to me is classic. Yep. It strikes at the heart of everything yep. that you want in a show.
0: Well said. This is a nine rating for me and it has an eight on IMDb, which is weird that this has a slightly lower rating than the last one, which Heck was an yeah. 8.2. So just to go on a few things, the acting in this one, once again, is outstanding and before we just covered there are a lot of episodes where the acting you don't really care about and it's just people doing their thing. but in these four they stood out the bad guy is so sinister and in his face just the intensity you hate him from the second that you see him uh forget the you know what's his name the peddler uh whose name is pettit and his name is Ernest trucks they're great but the bad guy the antagonist fred is so incredibly good it freaked me out it really really did couple of things. When the inky pen drops on the newspaper indicating which horse, if you look closely, you'll see names like the jockeys Clements, Huffton, Serling, the writers of the show. Uh, here's the one that I wanted to tell you about. The original story written by Rod featured a machine that could foretell an individual's probable future rod at the last second changed this science fiction element with the street peddler who could magically perform the function i don't think it works as well if it's a machine doing no. it there's another like episode Big, where you
1: well, feed. with zoltar. zoltar
0: yeah but do you remember the other one and i can't remember the, the diner where it's like the guy gets obsessed yes. with answering questions yes. for the little machine right that's it when the bellboy rings the newspaper brings the newspaper the daily chronicle to fred at the very end it says H-bomb capable of total destruction. It's the same newspaper used in Time Enough at Last, where the guy with the glasses was. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, The $240 that he wins is $2,400 today. And uh, the story is based on a thing that was written in 1951 by Kuttner C.L. Moore called Tales of Tomorrow. But that's about that for that one.
1: Everyone should watch this episode. I completely a feel-good episode with surprise after surprise after surprise that you didn't see coming. The comb at the very end. Yep. That, I thought, it okay, was we've so, seen all the surprises.
0: It was so cute and goofy, but also like, all right, so he doesn't turn it off. The guy is there for whatever reason. I always just loved it. I know you said it. It's obviously the main point of the episode, but I love it when you said the shoes weren't for what you needed. They were for what yep. I needed. And who knows if that means he used it. It's the one time he gets to use something to protect himself. Yep. Who knows? But the way that it all came together was absolutely brilliant. So I, I my last that.
1: thing, and I'll close on this special effects in the fifties were not what they are now. So we know that this guy had leather shoes, right? But in order to make him really slip, they show the close-up of, of the this cobblestone. Shoes. And I swear they used Ten pounds of Vaseline gelatin. You see this stuff all of a sudden yeah. all over his yep. shoes. Yeah, slip yeah. It, slip it around. You know what? You could have used a little bit less Vaseline. On I see that. what you
0: mean. Because they do zoom in on him because you see his feet yes. like a can't getting grip when it gets playing around. It's yeah, flying. it is. It's freaking hilarious.
1: So watch this watch his feet. But it does not detract from the message of this show. Absolutely. This episode is awesome.
0: So we came out of this here with some really cool notes. Uh this is a very highly rated one for us. The next four episodes are episode 13, 14, 15, and 16. All right. Now, hold on a second. In every one of these sections of four, you're going to get an episode that either is important to me or an iconic one. And we have that once again. The next one is called The Four of Us Are Dying. Uh, Third from the sun, I Shot an Arrow into the Air, which is a very classic episode. And one of my personal top ten episodes is the Hitchhiker. So we will cover those next time. And uh, make sure you subscribe to us and listen to us here. You can listen to this show. Tell your friends if any of us like if any of them like the Twilight Zone. This is the Highlight Zone with Stephen and Kelly on the All Things Geek Network. Find us on Apple Podcasts and all the other places. But if you have the option, listen to us on Spotify. There's always little surveys on there, and it tracks well. Share these. Dad, once again, great freaking episode.
1: Fantastic, Mr.
0: Serling still kills us. We will see you probably in another month when we tackle the next four episodes of The Twilight Zone. And remember, we don't have an an exit line. We still don't.